This is our last Sunday uh, in a three-week study in the book of James, so we're really kind of cruising through quickly and just picking out some of the high points. We're going to be in James chapter 4 this morning. So if you'd like, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, you can. Uh, If not, you can follow along on the screen. It'll be up there in in just a couple of minutes. So don't want to show of hands, okay, but who had a fight on the way to church this morning? Oh, a little nervous laughter. Okay. Y'all want to talk a little bit? No, I'm just, I'm teasing you. Um, I always, when I, when I do premarital counseling, and it's not really counseling, premarital friendly advice with couples, I always say to them, you know, I know that you're engaged in your love and nothing ever goes wrong at that point in your life. But if you happen to have a fight, if you happen to have a disagreement, what causes that? So that's the question I want to pose for us this morning. It doesn't have to be in the context of marriage. It could be at work. It could be with a friend. It could be with a, with a teacher at school. But when you get in an argument, what, what's the root cause of that? Here's some of the things that people say when they think about, you know, well, here, here's what happened. You know, I had a bad day at the office. It just, you know, things didn't go the way they should. And so, I, you know, it just kind of put me in a bad mood before I ever got home that evening. So you might say, well, you know, I've had the kids have just been unruly all day and they've just really irritated me. And I just, I wasn't in a good frame of mind when we had that conversation. We have a a demanding boss or or traffic was terrible on the way home. I couldn't, I couldn't get home. Maybe my, my math teacher, my science teacher, my whoever's being unreasonable at school. There are any and, and every influence, any, any reason under the sun, And as you're sitting here and you're thinking about the last disagreement you had with somebody, you're probably kind of rolling back in your mind and you're going, oh yeah, that, that's right. That's what caused that. You know, I wouldn't have gotten in that argument except for, right? So whatever that blank is, however you fill that in, what we want to consider this morning is uh, what's God's response to, to uh, our reasons for why we argue, why we have disagreements. Because If you have two people on the planet, at some point you're going to have a disagreement. This world is filled with conflict, some large, right, and some small. We've seen even in our day and age in in North St. Louis, African-American churches being burned. How how does that happen in, in, in this day of enlightenment? Because people are in conflict. That's part of human nature. Why, why is divorce still something with which we deal with in our culture? Because there's conflict. So this isn't a question of talking about, you know, coming to church, let's talk about something that, that isn't affect our, our daily lives. Every day we're faced with conflict and, and we come up with reasons why that happens. What does God think about those reasons? And could he perhaps be suggesting a different pathway for us? James chapter four, verses one through 10, hear the word of God. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or you dispose, it says for no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone. Be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we live in a world that is defined so often by conflict. And Lord, whether it's on a a macro scale of nations going to war or certain groups of people being filled with hatred towards other groups of people, or whether it's just two of us, a husband and a wife, uh, a child and a parent, a, uh, a teacher and a student, an employee and an employer. Father, there is conflict in this world And we want to find every reason under the sun for it except look at where the problem truly resides because we don't like to look at our own hearts and see what's really there. And yet, Father, you deal with this honestly because you love us, not because you want to oppress us. You didn't bring us to church this morning to make us feel guilty and then leave thinking we're just bad people and there's no hope. You brought us into your presence to worship you so that you could give us life. But that means that we must deal honestly with this topic. So, Father, I pray that your spirit and your word would speak to me, speak to us this morning. We need your truth in our lives. Man's solutions to conflict continue to fail. If we do not turn our eyes to you and seek your direction, we will continue to fall short. And to have this be potentially a terrible issue in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us alone. That you offer us not just your grace for salvation, but for life every day. And I pray that you would teach us. Forgive me my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I always give the sermon in one sentence, and, and I, a lot of people are like, oh, good, then we get to go. No, then I kind of explain what the sentence means. But if you're new to Green Tree, this is kind of my, my custom to kind of give you an overview of where we're headed. And it's pretty straightforward this morning. Every disciple and every church. So this is for us individually as well as us collectively. We would be wise to follow James' directives when it comes to peacemaking. See, what we're talking about this morning, what this text is talking about ultimately this morning, is not conflict, is not arguments and and quarrels and fighting, but it's rather the pathway out. And that pathway is a pathway of peacemaking. Okay, there's a difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. Peacekeeping is just wanting it to be quiet, right? I don't like people yelling at each other. I just want it to be still. I, I don't want... Susie to be mad at Johnny. And so if they could just, if they could just be quiet, that's peacekeeping. Okay. It doesn't solve anything. It doesn't restore the relationship. It doesn't fix what's broken. It simply says, I, I, I don't want to feel bad in this particular moment. Peacemaking is saying, we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to dig in deep. And we're going to try to get to the root of the issue. And we're going to try to see how God can bring us to another place. Uh, typically in the sermon, I will get to a point where I say, and I hear some application for you. What I want to say this morning at the outset is the application pretty much is in the entire sermon. The sermon actually itself is application this morning. So how do we, how do we get to the notion of peacemaking is what we want to look at in this particular text. The first thing we need to say is I, I asked you, you know, at the outset, kind of what causes fights. When you have something with which you disagree, if you have something where there's a problem, how, how do you, uh, 
figure out what caused that, okay? Well, what does God say about that? What's God's opinion of what causes fights and quarrels among us? Look at verses 1 through 3. Start with verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? In other words, God says, okay, I've heard what you've said about traffic or about, you know, if that person hadn't said this, you wouldn't have said that. I've heard all that. And let me give you a suggestion. God says, I don't want you to look to the person next to you. I don't want you to look at the person in front of you. I don't want you to look at the person behind you. Don't look around. Don't look over. Don't look up. Look in. God says, there's a war that's going on inside of your own heart. And so the place you have to start in any conflict is looking at yourself. So if you want one simple application of this passage of scripture, when you leave here today, stop by Walgreens or Walmart or Target and buy a mirror and keep it with you at all times. And the next time you have a conflict, just hold it up and look. And God says, now we're getting somewhere. There are passions that are at war within you. The notion here, excuse me, (coughs) the notion here is one of selfish desire, void of love of God or care for others. <clears throat> so he's not using the word pa- passion can be used in a, in a very positive way. James is using it in a very negative way. In fact, there's a, the, there's a, a sexual connotation to this word that is the notion of using someone else for your own pleasure. James says there are fights and quarrels because you're selfish, because you're trying to get what you want when you want it. And that's what's at war within your heart. But he goes on to say, here's how it works out. Look at verses two and three. You desire, you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You not have because you do not ask. You ask, and he's talking about prayer there. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your, and there's that word again, passions. James is saying that we have a desire in our heart that leads to murder. And that's when you put your hand up and say, wait a minute, Tom, I, I, we might have fought on the way to church this morning, but I haven't ever killed anybody. And I would say, remember what Jesus says to us. He says, when you say to a brother or a sister, you're a fool, you've committed murder in your heart. It's just as, as, as bad as if you'd picked up a rock and hit him in the head with it, right? What's Jesus after? He's after what's inside of us, the motives of our heart. Now, I would say that when I get in a disagreement with someone, I think they're a fool. Why do I think they're a fool? Because they don't agree with me. If they would just come over to my side of the argument, if they would just understand how right I am, then everything would be fine. And they're foolish not to. So if you and I have ever had a disagreement, I've murdered you in my own heart. So as we stand here this morning, we can't say we're innocent. We can't say we can, we can wash our hands of this. James says you don't get what you want, so you have murderous thoughts in your heart. He says you covet, which is the notion of I deserve it more than you. I should have that, not you. Well, if I covet and I don't get what I want, what does that lead to? It leads to angry confrontation. In other words, James says our our motives behind all this, even when when we pray, our motive for asking is what? Ugly objective of personal consumption. I want what I want. And if it means fighting you and quarreling with you to win an argument or to get something I want, then I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to sacrifice you for me. And I'm very unwilling at that moment to begin to entertain the notion that this could be at all my fault, 
that this could possibly be happening because of a blind spot in my life. Because I, I, I just, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to admit that. Watch the screen and watch a little video that will point this out to us. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on. If you would just... Don't... Try to see... I actually got a cramp in my side from laughing at that. Oh, my goodness. Way too close to reality. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad none of you have ever had that experience in your, in your lives. Silly, right? Well, that, that's what God says. He says, really? Children, son, daughter of mine, saved through the blood of Jesus, you're, you're going to go with the ignoring the obvious that it's within your own heart? In other words, God's response to our blame shifting, our, our putting it somewhere else. He says, that's nonsense. And how about we just say so? How about we just agree on that? Because then we can begin down the pathway of life. So the first observation of this text, I have five observations. The first one is God's opinion of our blame shifting is it's, it's just silly. We need to, therefore, the secondly, in, in this text, we need to see the reality of the situation. What is our reality? And James says, you adulterous people. James says there's an unfaithfulness here. When you refuse to acknowledge your own sin, when you live as if you don't need the cross of Jesus and the grace and the mercy of God, you're betraying your promise of faith. If you're here this morning and you claim Christ as your Savior, you you have promised your fidelity to him. You said, "I, I love you, I trust in you, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. But then when you get into conflict and you refuse to look at your own sin, you're betraying that faith our promise to God, and we end up, therefore, pursuing another pathway. And so James says that's unfaithful. If you've made promises and you break those promises, you pursue another, right? You're an adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity or or angst, uh, conflict with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, when he says world here, he's not talking about our community of Kirkwood or St. Louis or wherever in the, in the greater St. Louis area you live. He's not saying don't be a good neighbor to the people around you. He's not saying, you know, hate everyone around you because that's the world. He's talking about a way of thinking that takes him out of the equation. 
that exists as if there were no God. So any philosophy, any mindset, so put yourself in an argument, right? In that disagreement, and you're making your point and you're trying to win the argument. You don't care about the other person. In that moment, your argument is void of God. James says, when you do that, you're just being unfaithful. We need to understand that's the honest reality of our situation. That choice puts us in an adversarial relationship with God. Why? Because God is about making the peace. If God wasn't about making the peace, Jesus never would have gone to the cross for you or for me. So God says it's nonsensical to ignore your own heart. Let's get down to the reality of the situation. The third thing I want us to see in this text is the father's active love. Look at verses five and six. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made dwell within us? What's James saying there? James is saying he's hearkening back all the way to Genesis chapter one. If you've ever read the first chapter of the book of Genesis, the very first chapter of the Bible, God says, let us make man in our own image. Thank you. In our own image. What does that mean? That we look like God, that God has hands and fingers and toes and feet? No. It means that we take on some of the characteristics of God. What is the defining characteristic of the the triune God? It is unity. It is harmony. It is singleness of purpose. And so when James says that he makes the spirit that he has dwell within us, you're jealously, what he's saying is God's jealous for us to experience the unity of the Godhead. That that's what God's passionate about. That he wants us to have that kind of friendship with him. And friendship, therefore, with him leads to a love for one another. And he's excited about that. He's going to to strive for that. And so the, the part of us that is made in the image of God, have you ever been in a disagreement where you go, you know, you have a lucid moment. And maybe you don't admit it to the person with whom you're arguing. But maybe you have this thought, you know, I could be wrong here. Yeah, I, I know it's a fleeting thought. I know it doesn't, doesn't last a long time. Have you ever, that's because you're created in the image of God. And there's something deep in your heart that God puts there that says, I long for this human relationship to be right. Praise God that our Father's act of love for us includes the spirit that resonates with our spirit. And then notice what he does in verse 6. He gives us more grace. Therefore, God opposes the proud but give grace to the humble. He stands in our way. He stands in opposition to our ungodly pride. He will not let us act as unruly children and pretend like we're doing okay. He's going to stop us from mistakes. He's going to show us mistakes. He's going to stand in the way of those things that we do intentionally that can hurt ourselves and hurt others. If you have a child that is enamored with cars, right? Let's say you have a little four-year-old and they just love to look at cars. You're certainly not going to stand at the, at the end of 100 Kirkwood Place on Thursday afternoon as people are flying down Kirkwood Road on their way home and say to that child, why don't you go out and try to dodge traffic and touch those cars as they go by? Just be careful not to get hit. Of course you're not going to do that. And if your child who, is, who, who isn't mature enough yet to understand it because they're just a little guy or girl, they start running out into the street. What are you going to do as a loving mom or dad? You're going to grab them. You're going to stand in their way. You're going to pull them back and you're going to get eyeball to eyeball them and say, don't you ever do that again. Why? Because the car always wins. Our father opposes our pride because he's mean. No, because he says it's a no win solution. It's going to kill you. It's going to destroy your relationships. It's going to, it's, in a church, it could devastate your church, could ruin your marriage, 
could alienate you from your kids or from your parents. The list goes on and on and on. And it's God's grace that stands in our way. His love is active. What is our response to an active father? Well, for a child, because I've been a child and I've also had children, there's some amount of time that's belligerent, right? I'm just going to fight through it and I'm going to try to get my way. But God is the perfect father and he never lets his children have their way at the end of the day because he loves them too much. And so he literally is going to lead them to come to a different conclusion. What's the different conclusion to which you and I should arrive at this morning when it comes to the question of making peace? And in a word, it is repentance. Look at verses seven through nine, and we're going to walk through this carefully. The first thing it says in verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God. What does that mean? Submit to God means saying, God, you're right and I'm wrong. I've thought only about myself. I've called my brother or my sister a fool. I've hated them in my heart. I've looked at every other reason under the sun for why I'm in disagreement with this person, except in my own heart. And I'm going to admit that you're right and I'm wrong. That's what submission means. That's the first step in repentance. The second step in in repentance is understanding that we have an enemy who's out to get us. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. All right. So the the scripture is rife with all kinds of passages, devil, Satan, the evil one, our enemy. There's all kinds of words that are used to describe him. He's a real being. He's a fallen angel. He has other fallen angels following him around and they're trying to, they're trying to trip us up. They're trying to hurt us. They're trying to, if they could kill us, they would. They can't because God's protecting us, but they want to do their damage, right? They want to do their worst. How do you resist the devil? You go back to scripture and you say, father, please protect me. Satan, you have no place in my life. I'm trusting what my father says and I'm, and I'm standing against your temptation for me to live for myself. Because what is Satan, to, Satan saying to you in the middle of the argument? Here's the next thing you should say, right? That's what Satan says to you. Now, they're, they're kind of getting their jab in, but now here's, here's how you're going to counterpunch. And boy, you're really going to get them, right? That's Satan's message. And doesn't that feel really good in the moment? Come on. Doesn't it feel good to win an argument? I mean, y'all are nice, but you're not that nice. I can't be the only person in this room that thinks it feels really good to put somebody else in their place and win an argument. And that's, as my friend Steve Brown says, from the pit of hell, and it smells like smoke. It's a lie. So we resist that. We say, I'm not going to live for myself. I'm not going to live to win the argument. I'm going to live to win the person. And I'm going to trust my father. And what happened? What is Satan? Satan was like, now I have no power. And he runs away because he's a coward. He can't win, so he's going to leave. So we humble ourselves, we submit to God, we resist our enemy, and then we do what? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's a moment where the child has to begin to come back to the parent. Have you ever had this experience where you were little or or, or when you have little kids where you've had to discipline, you've had to correct, you're doing it out of love, and eventually they come back and they, they're done being defiant. They're done being angry. And they've, you know, they've, they've cried till they're, they're too tired to do anything else. And then what do they do? They come and they crawl back up in your lap. Why? Because they know that you love them. And they know you want the best for them. And there comes that moment where you have to say, Father, I really blew this. I really messed this up. Can I come sit in your lap? Can we talk about it? And your father always welcomes you with open arms because he's the perfect father. So there's an intentionality in coming back to our father. And then James uses a little bit of metaphorical language. He says, cleanse your hands. He's not saying actually go to the bathroom and wash your hands. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What is he saying? He's saying confess your sins. 
He's saying, name it, identify it. Don't, don't make it vague. You know, I was kind of in a bad mood yesterday and I feel bad about that. Sorry. <laughs> no, I said a harsh word. I said a hateful word. And I need to ask your forgiveness for saying that specific word to that specific person. And, and, and the specificity friends is important. Because anytime I want to generalize, anytime I want to just kind of gloss over it quickly, I'm standing on real thin ice and I'm going to pretty quickly move back into my own prideful way of thinking. And so James says, you got to wash, you got to purify. How do you do that? You name it. You call the sin for what it is. Now, fortunately for you, and you don't have to pay extra for this this morning. Fortunately for you, I had this experience last night because I got in a disagreement with my wife and I was a jerk to her. And so this, you, you don't even have to think of your own life. You can just listen to my life for a minute. Cindy's in Kansas city with our, with our son, Nathan, his wife, Liz and our grandkids. And she drove over and she's going to drive back this afternoon. And I'm on my way to go to a friend's house to have dinner with some friends that are in town that I'm only going to get to see for a couple hours. Right? So I'm on my way. I'm ready to have a nice evening. I have to leave later on this afternoon for Pittsburgh. I'm going to be gone for three days and we have the harvest party next week. We have a staff retreat. And so I'm like, Oh, just, I've got this nice little break. And my phone rings in the car. The person that put the phone in the car is a terrible, evil person. And it's Cindy. And I can tell in her voice right away, something's wrong. Like, are you okay? She goes, I, I, I lost my key. I said, what key? She goes, I lost my key to my car, to which I gently and graciously said, the key that you refused to put on a keychain." <laughs> See, I told you, it doesn't cost you anything, right? And she's like, yeah. And I said, well, where is it? Now, how's that for a brilliant question? <laughs> right? Oh, it's right here. I just thought I'd call and make something up, right? How could you lose it? Right? How many of you want to be married to me? (laughs) So I go to dinner and have a self-righteous dinner. And I call my son Nathan a little bit later on and he says, um, we got locksmith over and opened up. She had a spare key in her purse. I later found out after the first service. So this, again, this is no extra charge. Uh, Steve Ward told me if you get on your phone with a spare key and you're on the phone with your spouse and they hold their, their phone up to the lock and you click it, the, the, it'll hear it through the phone. It'll unlock the car. There you go. That didn't even cost you anything. Um, so I, 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 I'm in the car and I'm driving back home and, and God uh, tapped me on the shoulder, not literally, but God tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I'm really excited about that sermon you're going to preach tomorrow. And I said, why don't you mind your own business? And he said, I am. So I got on the phone. I said, I'm so glad you're okay. And I'm so sorry. And now let me tell you what I'm sorry for. I I spoke rudely to you. I was more concerned about me than I was about you. And I really, you know, kind of despised you for putting me in that situation in that particular moment. And would you please forgive me? right? It's repentance. That's cleansing. That's washing. That's purifying. It's saying, you know what, God, you're right and I'm wrong, but I'm going to make it right. And the way I make it right is to confess my sin. There's no other pathway, friends. You don't make excuses. You don't shift the blame. None of that kills us. But when we confess our sin, what does God do? He forgives us. And what do you think Cindy said when I said, sweetie, would you forgive me? I'm so sorry. She didn't say, no, you dumb jerk. I won't. She said, of course I will, right? Because she's my sister in Christ as much as she's my wife and she gets it. 
She understands she needs forgiveness every once in a while too. So we were able to, to be fine by the time we hung up the phone. There's an emotional engagement that comes with this. James says, lastly, wretched, mourn, weeping. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. James says there, there's a, an emotional attachment that you have to have to this process where you look at your sin and you actually grieve over it. I really was sad that I had hurt Cindy. I mean, that really did hurt my heart. And I'm like, praise God, maybe the Holy Spirit's actually alive in my heart and doing something to transform my life. So when our father calls us to repentance, brothers and sisters, so I said the sermon's application, those are the steps every time because it brings us back to grace. What's the outcome? Look at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. As I humble myself, as I say, God, you're right, and I follow the steps of repentance, what happens? God forgives me, and, and so do others. So I have true peace with God and with others. There was nothing left between me and Cindy last night. It was all gone. It had been dealt with through repentance, through acknowledging what started it in the first place. And I was right with my father, and I was right with my wife. That's the outcome of peacemaking. And that works individually and it works for us as a church because you end up in a new frame of mind. You end up being humble. You end up trusting in God and following his loving direction. And he will exalt you simply means you're going to get an attaboy from your heavenly father, right? So again, if you're a parent or if your, your mom or dad has ever done this for you where you did something, they went, great job. Way to go. Maybe it was a report card. Maybe you made your bed the right way. Maybe you took out the trash without anybody asking you. Whatever the case, you came home on time at curfew. Whatever the case may be, thank you. Good job. Your father looks at you and says, now we're getting somewhere. Now that you understand that, that humility and trust in me and not in yourself and not shifting the blame to others, but, but owning your sin for what it is and coming to me for forgiveness, which I'll always give you, and going to the other person for forgiveness and receiving that, now we're going the right direction. And he affirms that. So maybe the next time it'll happen in my life just a little bit quicker. Or maybe the next time I even stop before that, I go, Lord, don't let me even get into that moment of wanting to have a fight or a quarrel. God's holy, attaboy, girl affirmation. Godly humility and peacemaking should be the identifying mark of individual disciples of Jesus and the church of Jesus Christ. There's been a lot of conversation around Green Tree uh, in the last few weeks and months about where, where are we going from here? What is God going to do here? And we're, we're thinking through all that and we're praying through all that. But at the end of the day, where, where God is going with this congregation is he's giving us this word for our protection. I will tell you that Green Tree Community Church, if you're new here, is, is a relatively friendly place. We tend to get along with one another. It's not because we're good people. I believe God's Holy Spirit is protecting us. But we're that far away from following this pathway that leads to death. Every moment, every day. Every Christian at Green Tree Community Church needs to pray for the collective humility of this congregation. Because there will be conflict, friends, right? Again, two people in a room, at some point there's going to be conflict. How Christians handle conflict, how Christians handle fights and quarrels can be a witness to the world of the grace and the mercy and the love of God the Father. Who do we want to be? Christ-centered, humble, godly peacemakers. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. Not because it's easy, because it isn't. 
it, it stings us to the core because it's true. We would like to blame others. We, we would like to create excuses that are valid. We'd like to do pretty much anything other than own our sin when it comes to fighting and quarreling. The Lord help us to see that that's a pathway to, to broken relationships. It's a pathway to death. Father, thank you that you made the peace with us by allowing the Lord Jesus to go to the cross and pay for our sins. And now you call us to walk into our relationship with others and be peacemakers. To understand that, that when we fight and quarrel, we need to go take a good hard look in the mirror, own our part of it, humble ourselves before you, and follow your pathway that gives life. Father, I pray that for every disciple in this room today. And I pray it for us collectively as a church so that when people who don't know you come into this place or experience life with us over the backyard fence or uh, at a ball game on Friday night or, or, or here in worship, wherever it is, Lord, they wouldn't experience perfect people because they're not going to find them. But rather they would experience people who have been captured by grace and who are used by you to make the peace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.